Well, it's church day, so I might as well start off with a faith-filled statement. Happy summer. How many people got rained on at the lake? One person went to the lake. Right on. It's going to be a good morning. Right on. Good. Good to see you. I'm really actually excited about uh, the message this morning. I was telling some friends earlier this week that if I ever wrote a book, I would write it on this topic because um, I think it's, it's, it's super important. We've been in a series of messages uh, over the last few weeks that uh, JR has been walking us through, and he's been talking about the culture of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? Uh, he defined culture as a set of shared attitudes, goals, and practices that define a group. And so when we've been looking at Christianity and the, and the kingdom of God, uh, Jared has been walking us through, what does that look like? What does that culture actually physically look like on the earth? So the idea is, spoiler alert, uh, the idea is we're going to talk about culture of the kingdom of God, and then when we're done with that, we are going to talk about the culture of Mount Helena Community Church. So this morning, uh, I want to zoom in on a topic that JR talked about last week because I feel like this topic is really important. Um, I think it's actually at the forefront of our culture. I think it's at the forefront of our day. I don't think it would actually be a stretch to say that you and I make decisions every day based around this topic. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I'm still going to say that you make decisions based on this topic. So to help us get into this, I'm not just going to tell you what it is, I want to suggest a hypothetical situation. So let's say that somebody comes up to you, and uh, we're going to call this person uh, person. And so person comes up to you, and uh, person punches you in the nose. So as you're recovering from this punch, probably hopefully calling the police at that time, you ask person, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And person replies, well, because I, I believe that you really needed a punch in the nose. We just entered into a discussion on truth. See, in this scenario, person really honestly believed that you needed a punch in the nose. That was their truth in that moment. Regardless of your belief that you did not need a punch in the nose, person believed that you needed a punch in the nose, and then they acted on their truth in that moment. See, I believe that this is one of the most fundamental issues of our time. But is it? I mean, is it really? I mean, is it, is it really worth discussion? I mean, I hear people say almost every single day, in, our, in the different circles we're in, I hear this almost every single day, speak your truth. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, what's the problem? You speak your truth. I speak my truth. The world keeps on spinning and we all get along. But be that as it may, what happens in our hypothetical scenario? Person really honestly believed that you needed a punch in the nose. That was their truth. And you believed that you did not need a punch in the nose. That's your truth. So whose truth is right? See, one of the big questions that I find myself asking these days is what happens when truth gets distorted? What happens when you have a hard time knowing what the truth is? What happens when you've had a really rough go of it? What happens when life has just been really tough for an extended period of time and you don't know anymore what your truth is? 
What do you do? And I mean, if you go past that, if you really believe your truth, can I adopt your truth as my truth? Or can I give you my truth as your truth? I mean, are they transferable? What if I don't agree with your truth? Then what happens? See, it all gets like this rat's nest, right? All these cords come. This is such a fundamental issue because whether you're conscious of it or not, we make decisions every day based on what we think the truth is, right? Yes? Yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to say this. Most of the time, I think it's safe to say that we're, we're doing a pretty good job. I mean, we think of ourselves as good people, right? So we feel confident that our truth is pretty centered and right, right? There's a verse in the Bible that this has always been a verse to me that is like a big warning light. There's a verse in the Bible that speaks to this. It says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Does that not freak anybody else out? That freaks me out, if I'm really honest with you. Because there are times in my life when I'm like, yes, I, I think this is right, and I think I'm going and I'm making plans, and I'm leading, and I'm doing all this, but it wasn't the right way. There's a way that seems right, but it, but it leads to death. So that implies that there's something at stake, right? With our decisions and what our perspective on the truth is, it leads to one of the greatest questions that we could ask today. It's a question that Pilate asked when he was face-to-face -face with Jesus. If you don't know the story, let me give you some context. So this is towards uh, the end of Jesus' time on earth. So the government had heard about what Jesus was doing, and more importantly, they heard about the rumors of who he was claiming to be. Well, it was time to put him on trial. And like I said, this is, this is towards the end of his time on earth. So the questioning, this, this line of questioning, this trial, as it were, this had gone on all through the night, and now it's early morning, and now they're going to take him before Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and Pilate was going to serve as judge on Jesus' trial. So I want to show you this conversation, and we're going to look at this, uh, because Pilate asks one of the most profound questions in all of Scripture, and it's a question that I think that we need to have an answer for today. So we're in John chapter 18, verse 33. I'm going to have it up on the screen for you as well. Pilate went back into the praetorium, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? What Pilate was doing at this moment is he was basically, if Jesus admitted that he was king of the Jews, that was a governmental problem for Pilate. And he wanted to see if Jesus was going to admit that he was going to take the place of government because he didn't say, are you the leader? He said, are you the king? That's a governmental position. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Are you saying this on your own? Jesus asked, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not of this realm. Ha! Then you are a king, Pilate said. You say that I'm a king, Jesus answered. I love the sass in this conversation. <laughs> you say that I'm a king, Jesus answered. For this reason I was born and have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Owen, if I were to come up, everybody say hi to Owen. Hi, Owen. Owen, if I were to come up to you and say, Owen, what is your purpose for being here on the earth? 
What is, what is the thing that gets you up? Or what is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? What is the thing that makes you lose sleep at night? What is, what is your, your thing? Regardless of what that answer would be, I would learn so much about you in that moment. I would learn why God put you on this earth. I would learn what makes your heart beat. I would learn a lot of what makes Owen Voigt, Owen Voigt. Jesus just answered that. He said, for this reason I was born and I've come into the world to testify to the truth. I love that verse because Jesus could have said a hundred other things. And he said, no, you want to know what gets me up in the morning? This is what it is. I need to testify to the truth. The implication then, because those are intentional words. Other uh, translations say bear witness. Those are all trial type words. That implies then what? That the truth is on trial. And Jesus needs to testify to the truth. So then Pilate asks a question that is so profound. And I believe it's a question that our culture is asking today. What is truth? So Jesus just says, okay, you want to know why I've come? For this reason I was born. For this reason I've come into the world. To testify to the truth. And Pilate is staring at Jesus. And the scripture says, he said, well, what is truth? And he walks away. He doesn't even stay for the answer. He says, what is truth? Where does it come from? How can we know the truth? See, this is the question that I think our culture has been uh, asking since really the beginning of time. This is the question we find ourselves asking today. And more importantly than that, we're living our life based on its answer. So I think we owe it to ourselves to do everything we can do to get that answer right. So if the question is, what is truth? Let's look at the Bible and let's see some of the answers. So Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which is funny when when Pilate is looking at Jesus saying, what is truth? He's talking to truth. Jesus also promised us the Holy Spirit. But I tell you the truth, it is for your benefit that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. However, when the what? The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears, and he will declare to you what is to come. Okay, so what have we learned? We've learned that Jesus is truth. Jesus, the scripture records, is that God's word literally incarnate. Jesus is God's word in the flesh. So when Pilate was saying, what is truth? He was literally looking at truth. And then Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of what? Truth. And then more than, you know, in addition to that, we have God's word, which is called the word of what? The word of truth. And it is God breathed. So then what's the problem? What's the problem? Why is it so hard discerning the truth? And why do we sometimes get it really, really wrong? I've gotten the truth really wrong sometimes. And why is that? Because the problem is, is that we aren't only dealing with the truth. We're dealing with something else. As many of you know, I I work in the IT industry. And a few months ago, um, I remember this phone call. Uh, I got a call from a friend who was really super panicked. And what she said is, Um, I don't even remember her saying hello. That was kind of rude. She says, they're in my computer, and I don't know what's happening. I was like, okay, okay. I said, what's going on? What's going on? 
So this person uh, proceeded to tell me that Microsoft called her. I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty good. And uh, Microsoft said they, uh, they detected some unusual activity on her computer. And so Microsoft sent her a connect request, and she approved of it. So now Microsoft was in on her computer and showing these screens. And so I said, are they still in your computer? And she said, yes. I was like, right on. And so, I mean, really, for an IT guy, this is the best part of your day. <laughs> your day is not going to get any better than this. So I sent her another connect request, and I could see it was just bogus. I could tell you what they were doing, but it's really too boring for you to just... They, they were doing things to try to get her information, to try to get her credit card, because they said, well, your computer's infected, and for the low, low price of $399, $399, we can clean your computer. Probably throw in a knife set if she acts now. And, uh, <laughs> and I, said, I said, no, no, don't do that. And I remember what she said at the end of that phone call. It was so innocent. She said, so they were lying? And I said, yeah, they were lying. They're really, really good. The company, for those of us that have not caught on to the end of the story, the company was not Microsoft. Microsoft will never call you detecting unusual activity. They just don't care. Uh, The person was lying for malicious reasons. See, We have a hard time discerning the truth because in this world, we're dealing with truth and we're dealing with lies. Now, if we follow this logic, if God is truth, then God created the truth. He is the standard. He is the bar. He is truth. Then where did lies come from? Where did lies come into being? I want to show you Earth's very first lie. We have record of it, of the very first lie on Earth. For that... We need to hop in our DeLoreans. We need to hit 88 miles an hour and go back in time to the beginning. Some, some people, some of the young guys have no idea what that is. You're going to have to, quote, Google it. I just lost all credibility with that section over there. So in Genesis, uh, Genesis means beginning. We see that God spoke the world into existence. In six days, he, he created everything we see and everything We don't see. He created man, and then from man, he created woman, and he let them dwell with him in the garden. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you one thing that you can't do. I'm going to put a tree in the garden, and the name of this tree was the knowledge of good and evil. This all comes out of Genesis chapter 2, and he says, this is the one thing you can't do. Do not eat from that tree. That's the only thing you can't do. Here comes the lie. Now, incidentally, in my Bible, this passage is entitled The Serpent's Deception. So in Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice something here. Up to this point, the serpent did not lie. That's really important to understand because we see the nature of lies here. What he did, he didn't lie. He questioned. He questioned truth. It's not the same as lying. Okay? So the serpent, but it is setting up a pretty powerful foundation. The serpent questioned truth. He says, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's the lie. You will not surely die, the serpent said, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good good and evil. There is the lie. The very first time that all of our ancestors had to deal with the battle 
between truth and a lie. See, Satan not only questioned God's truth, he inserted his own truth. That's really important. First, he questioned God's truth, but then he exchanged that. He put in his own truth. So he said, did God really say, questioning? Number two, he said, no, 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 no. You will not surely die. That is opposed to what God had said. He inserted his own truth claim. And here's the action part of this. He let Eve choose between them. He let Eve choose between them. And unfortunately, Eve chose poorly. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. In that moment, Eve had exchanged the truth for a lie. Her and Adam ate of the fruit and sin entered into the world for the first time in history. What was that verse? There's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of death. See, questioning of the truth, then Satan gave her his own truth. And I'm guessing, this isn't in the Bible, but I'm guessing that Eve looked at that fruit and said, you know what? Yeah, I can eat it. This will be fine. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of death. So then where do lies come from? See, just like God is truth and the creator then of truth, we have an enemy. An enemy that scripture says his whole job He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You want his job description? There it is. Steal, kill, and destroy. Furthermore, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. What is he doing? He's roaming around looking for someone to devour. How is he going to do that? Here's one of the ways he's going to do that. He's going to do that by speaking his native tongue. What does that mean? In John 8, Jesus is saying this. He says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you are unable to accept my message. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out his desires. Here we go. He was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Wow. Because he is a liar and the father of lies, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. You guys... That language doesn't get any stronger than that. The devil is the father of lies. Let that just sink in for a second. For those of us that have heard that before, let let that sink in for a second. He is the creator of lies. That's where they come from. He refuses to hold up the truth. And more than that, he is opposed to the truth. Think about the ramifications then of that in your life. Think about the truths that God has spoken over you in Scripture and how our enemy wants to destroy that. See, my Bible says that God has promised you a future and a hope in Jeremiah. In John, God has promised you life and life to the full. In Psalm 103, he has promised to wipe your sin away. But see, the father of lies wants to replace those promises for lies. He wants to tell you that you have no future, that you're not good enough, that you will never be good enough. You don't have what it takes You'll never amount to anything. You're going to be defined by your past that nobody would ever love you and that you are garbage. Does anybody else want to just throw up because of that? Yes, those are the lies that we hear in our culture every single day, but they are diametrically opposed to the truth that God has whispered through the ages. 
He says, I love you, son and daughter. So why then? Why do we struggle so much with this concept? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons, but two reasons that I can think of. Number one, lies by their nature are deceptive. I'm going to give you the mind-blowing statement of your week. Okay, you ready for this? Lies will never tell you the truth. You want me to say it again? Lies will never tell you the truth. Now, we laugh because that's funny. Thank you. That's funny. I worked really hard on that. Uh, But I think sometimes we act like they are, don't we? Lies will never tell you the truth. And number two, as much as we want to gravitate towards the truth, we're still dealing with this sinful nature that we have. And as much as God is redeeming that, as much as we're working on that, we still have this to contend with. And our sinful nature that we war with gravitates towards sin and it gravitates toward lies. In the book of Romans, it says, For sin deceived me. Sin is never honest. It'll never tell you the truth. Ephesians 4, You are taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In Hebrews chapter 3, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, sin and lies, they're going to lie to you, they're not going to tell you the truth, and then they're going to harden you. That's the cycle. I've, I heard an author say it this way, and I really like it. Every sin that plagues us can be traced back to a belief in a lie. And I was like, uh, let me think about that. So I'm just going through all the sin in my brain, right? All, all these different sins I can think of. I'm like, yep, lie, lie, lie. Every sin that plagues us is traced back to a belief in a lie. So what are some of the lies? What are some of the lies that we, that we entertain? Well, ah, this feels good, so it must be good for me. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to get away with it. I'm pretty good. I'm going to get away with it. Well, this doesn't hurt anybody. This, nobody has to know. This, this isn't going to hurt anybody. And ah, it's no big deal. Ah, it's no big deal. I can stop when I want to. Does this sound familiar? Genesis chapter 3. Serpent said to Eve, you will not surely die. And maybe the pinnacle of why we exchange God's truth for a lie comes out of the book of Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So here's my paraphrase. When we exchange the truth for a lie, it's so we can serve the creature, not the creator. When we exchange, when Eve was in that moment, and the, and the serpent said to her, no, no, this is fine. You can eat of this because when you eat of it, you're going to be like God. He was appealing to something within her. And when we exchange the truth for a lie, it's so we can serve ourselves rather than the one who made us. What is truth? Truth then comes from God, period. That is the source of truth. So I think the hardest question I'm going to ask this morning is then how do we stay in the truth? That is a really hard question. Um, I, I was trying to think of an analogy for this because it is a hard question. And I think of this like going to the chiropractor. What? You better explain that one. Okay, I will. 
our bodies were designed to be healthy and to work, but, you know, we're in the middle of life, right? Life happens, stuff happens, and our bodies then need an adjustment. Truth is the same way, you guys. Truth is the same way. Every day, um, we are bombarded with things and situations that are not the truth. I remember in, uh, I think it was middle school, they showed us this cool video about drugs. I'll, I'll clarify that. <laughs> they showed us this cool video about drugs in which like, this guy was getting all sorts of pressure in this dark alley. He looked, looked kind of like a Zach Morris. If you don't know who Zach Morris is, that's okay. So this guy came up to him and he said, let me show you what's really going on. And he gave him this set of sunglasses and he could see everything that was kind of wrong in the scenario. And he said, oh, well, I don't want that. Those are drugs. This is going to be bad for me. I, yes, that is what I want for our life because there are so many times during my day when I'm bombarded with something in our culture and I'm like, is this truth or is this a lie? Because if we go back to Genesis, it says now the serpent was more crafty than any beast that God had made. The lies are clever. So I want to just give us some really practical steps today to help us stay in the truth. Number one is rebuild your armor. What does that mean? If we look at uh, the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, skip to the end, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Anybody ever notice that your armor begins and ends with truth? Isn't that interesting? Truth is mentioned twice in your armor. The belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of truth. Your armor begins and ends with truth. So realizing that, number two is really important. Recognize the season you're in. Recognize the season you're in. There's a great book in the Bible. It's called Lamentations. Jeremiah is writing Lamentations, and he's, he's got some pretty honest conversation. I want to show you something that he wrote. It was not a high point in Jeremiah's life, but it goes very far into recognizing the season you're in. He says this. He says, my soul has been deprived of peace. I forgot what prosperity is. So I say, my strength has perished along with my hope from the Lord. That's honest, isn't it? I love that verse because it's important to recognize the season you're in. I think a lot of times we have this, just this wrong theology and this wrong thinking of like, well, you know what? Um, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna pay attention to that and God is faithful and God is just. Those things are all true. But the, the trap that I found myself getting into is I was minimizing the severity of the situation and it was not doing good things in my head. And so I want to encourage us in the same way that Jeremiah was honest, be aware of the situation you're in. I mean, Jeremiah said, you know what? Things are not going well. And I want to I give us some liberty this, this morning of saying, you know what? Don't be afraid of looking at your situation and saying, you know what? Things are not great and I don't like it. That is okay. That is okay. But as I've said from the front several, several times, it's okay to go there, but it's not okay to stay there because God has so much more for you. And that goes into number three. So number one, rebuild your armor. Realize that you got to put on that truth. Number two, recognize the season you're in. 
And then number three, recall the truth. Recall the truth. I'm going to play an audio file for you. And what this is, is my wife and I, we do a podcast called The Big Sky Five. And we get different people in the community and uh, hopefully around Montana, and we ask them the same five questions. And so we had a, we had a recording last, last week, and the guest, his name is Jason, he's a good friend, and question five is, they're always the same question, the question five is, what would the title of your autobiography be? And you guys, this, this was vulnerable enough that I was sitting across the table, like, Leslie and I were kind of like looking at each other like, holy cow, this does not get more honest. And I asked Jason afterward, I said, are you sure you want this going out? I mean, you know, there's 10 people who are going to hear this thing. So, uh, and so he said, yeah. And I, um, he didn't know what I was going to talk about today. And so I said, do you mind if I share this with some pretty cool people? And he said, no. He said, this is, this is part of my story. So I want, you, I want you to listen to this. What would the title of your autobiography be? This, this was the easiest question because it's been something that I am continually telling myself is just, I am enough. You know, you are enough hmm. uh, because it's easy for me to go, you know, if I could just do this task, if I could just do this task, I'm going to be validated. You know, why won't you validate me for, you know, what I'm doing at sidecar and for the community? You know, there was, uh, a few months ago, JD and I were at a really low point as sidecars growing and we're taking over uh, the company as a whole, buying a partner out. And I'm talking about, you know, here's all this cool stuff we're doing for the community. And I'm so sucked in on that. And she goes, that's really cool that you're doing that for the community, but what are you doing for us? Mm. Um, and it was incredibly convicting and just realizing, you know, I can keep going with what we're doing there or on our photography side you know, but it's never going to be enough. And to get in that place where I go, I am enough, hmm. uh, has been incredibly rewarding. And so you know, on my desk, I actually have a post-it note that I wrote. It says, Jason, you are enough, not because of what you do or what you create, but because I have made you enough. And wow. so getting to a place where I have to physically have something like that in front of me to remind myself, um, because, you know, as you're go, 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 if it's not physically in front of me, I'm not going to remember that. I love that. I love that because here's a guy that he knows the value of truth. That word just spoken from God, you are enough, not because of what you do, but because of who I made you to be. And he boom, puts a post-it note right on his monitor that he sees that every day. That's what I'm talking about. Recall the truth. So Jeremiah did this. He didn't have a post-it note, but he might as well have because he said, okay, things are not going well. Um, I have no hope in the Lord anymore. Check, that, check out this next verse. Yet, I call this to mind. I love that. Yet, I call this to mind, and therefore, I have hope. And now he reminds himself of the truth. Because of the Lord's loving devotion, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Three verses ago, he just said, I don't have any hope in the Lord. And yet, one of the most powerful statements in all of scripture that we can take, yet, I call this to mind. If you take nothing else from today, take that phrase. 
because I think that we get in those situations where life just beats us up and we stop or we start forgetting what God has said. And I really want us to have that on our, on our tongue. Yet, I call this to mind. I'm going to take control of my thought life. I'm going to take every thought captive, as the New Testament encourages us, and I'm going to stir up the truth in my spirit. That's what he was doing. And what does it end with? Therefore, I will hope in him. Did the situation change for Jeremiah in those verses? No. Not that we can see anyway. The situation didn't change. Jeremiah changed. The situation did not change. Jeremiah changed around the situation. He says, yet I will hope in him. So here's the problem with this, if I can be really honest, is sometimes if, if number three is recall the truth, sometimes it's really, really, really hard to do that, isn't it? Sometimes it's really hard to recall the truth. So to that end, I want to do something this morning that's maybe a little bit different. I want to remind you of some of the truth that God has spoken over you and over your situation and some truth about God. So this is what I want you to do. Uh, we're going to have this, this PowerPoint on the app and on the website so you can have these scriptures. But if you're comfortable, I want you to close your eyes so you're not looking at me. And I want to tell you some truth this morning. God is in control of everything. Nothing happens outside his will. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? You intend to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. I want to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you future and a hope. I want to tell you some truths about who you are in Christ. Christ redeemed you. You are no longer a slave to sin. You've been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. God loves you immensely and nothing can separate you. Let me say that again. Nothing can separate you from that love. God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. Some truth about God's character. He is good. He is good. He is holy. He is just. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is forever faithful. He is gracious. He is merciful and kind. He's seen definitively in Jesus, and his power is unlimited. God's power is unlimited. Here's some truth about your circumstances. When you go through deep waters, God says, I will be with you. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will act. She is clothed in strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Be bold, be brave, be courageous. There is a time for everything. I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born, says the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And James reminds us that trials produce perseverance and build your faith. God promised salvation for everybody that calls on his name. He is always with us. He promised to never leave or forsake us. God promised that he will be near the brokenhearted. If you are brokenhearted this morning, God says, I will be near you. He hears us when we cry out to him. He will meet all of our needs. And God promised us eternity with him in heaven. Somebody say amen to those promises. 
Doesn't that just make you go, that's what truth feels like. When I download that to my spirit, that's what I feel like. It feels like, okay, okay. Things might be bad, yet I call this to mind. Yet I remind myself of this. John chapter 8, Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You guys, Imagine that kind of freedom this morning. A freedom that isn't held captive by the deception of lies, but it's free. Imagine if, if we were that kind of people, that when we're faced with a choice like Eve, that we would pursue and choose truth. Imagine that freedom, for you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, this is motivating to me because I, I don't, I want to be that kind of person that, that has truth in my life. I don't need any more lies. Anybody else? I don't need any more of that. And more importantly than me, our world needs truth. Our world needs hope. And our world needs light. All the analogies that Jesus shared in the New Testament. What if we, let me just ask you a question, what if what if we were that kind of people? What if it were our job, our honor to bring truth and hope and light into the world? What if that was us? What if that's what he designed since the beginning of time? I wonder if that's what he meant when he said, you are the salt of the world. I wonder if that's what he meant when he said, you are the light of the world. What if it was us that got to do that? What if it were us that when our friends are having a really hard go and they don't even have the strength to muster a sentence saying, yet I will remind myself of this. What if it was us that said, you know what? Let me help you. Let me remind you of some truth. What if it were our honor that we got to do that? Is that the kind of world that you want to live in? Is that the kind of people that you want to be? You guys, I want that for us. We live in a world that is asking every day, what is truth? What we just said in those three slides, that is truth. And what if, what if we did that? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We pray. God, thank you so much, Father, for your truth this morning. Thank you that uh, we don't have to read it out of a self-help book. But God, we get, we get to go to the source of truth, Father that we get to go to the one who wrote the book on truth, literally. And Father, I pray for us as we go about our, our days and our weeks and our years, Father, that we would be good stewards of your truth, Father, that we would be salt and hope and light to this world, to this world Father. I pray that you would find us faithful with the friends and family around us, God, that we would be stewards of truth this morning, God, because you are good and holy and just. God, I pray a blessing on us as we go from here. Father, let us be a, a blessing to you as we go. Amen.